Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. The fear of it not happening is more scary than the fear of just saying, you know what, I'm going to try one more time. And when you're so passionate about what you do and you're so excited about it, it doesn't matter what comes in front of you or what tries to distract you. It's like, okay, that's no problem. That's just another hurdle that I have to get over to get to the end line. You know, most people will just quit when it gets hard, but that's what makes you different. That's what makes you unique is saying that, you know what, I'm just going to keep on going. And success isn't that difficult, really. It's just about going again and getting up again. After that 24 hours of feeling sorry for myself or just being confused and upset and not sure, I was like, you know what, I've got to adapt. Louise Smith. Now, this is the second time that I've had Rebecca on the show. Why am I having Rebecca on the show twice? Glad you asked. Here's why. Rebecca wrote a book called It Takes Grit. It's out now. I got to tell you, I don't know anybody who should write a book on grit any more than Rebecca Louise. She is the grittiest girl I know. So let me explain. Rebecca, not only is she one of the top fitness icons in the world, but as a challenge to herself, she's been training to climb Mount Everest, like training to climb Mount Everest. Now, can you imagine that you're in peak physical condition. You're flying around the world doing climbing on different mountains to prepare for Mount Everest. And then boom, COVID hits and it's gone. You can't do it. I mean, who would have thought that they would shut down Mount Everest? And they did for her. So we talked about the absolute frustration and challenge it must have been to go through that. And I really want you to hear how she handled all of the adversities that she was hit with this year. I think that it will offer great perspective for you as you're going through your own challenges and your own adversity in uh, this, this amazing year of 2020. So please enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Louise Smith, part two, we'll call it. Rebecca Louise, how the hell are you? I'm doing incredible. How are you doing? So good to speak <laughs> to you. 
I love, I love the positivity that you have. We're in the, in the middle of a fucking pandemic and you're like, awesome. <laughs> you gotta be. So you've got a laugh or cry right now. <laughs> you know, I'm super excited to have you on the show again. And for those of you that are interested in all things Rebecca, go back. We'll link it up in the show notes to the first episode that we did with Rebecca and we can go deeper into her backstory, et cetera. But I wanted to have her on the show today because... I couldn't imagine a year where a book like you just wrote titled It Takes Grit could be any more appropriate to the, to these times that we are living in. So thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. It's funny. I just wrote an Instagram post and I said, what have you struggled with most in 2020? And I said, I didn't realize how much my book was going to be needed 18 months ago when I first got started with it. Like the amount of grit that we need right now, it feels like we're really pulling out all the stops. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, really crazy. So just, just by definition, let's start with a definition. What is grit? We've heard it. There's a lot of people who've written about it. And I think everybody has sort of an idea, but to you, what is grit? Grit to me means getting up one more time. Every single time, just getting up one more time. Finding that grit inside of you that's going to say, you know what, even if I want to quit right now, no problem. I'm just going to get up one more time and keep going. How do you find that? Like, where do you tap into when you have all these self-doubt, you know, all these... um you know, mixed beliefs of, I don't know if I can do it. I'm not sure of myself. I've never done it before. Imposter syndrome, all of those things that, you know, that creep in. Like, how do you fight those demons? I think it's being emotionally connected to the goal that I want and mm. feeling like I've already gone this far. So how can I go this far, you know, and, and, and quit right now? And I think when you want something so much, the fear of it not happening is more scary than the fear of just saying, you know what, I'm going to try one more time. I'm just going to get up one more time. And when you're so passionate about what you do and you're so excited about it, it doesn't matter what comes in front of you or what tries to distract you. It's like, okay, that's no problem. That's just another hurdle that I have to get over to get to the end line. And if you just keep having that vision of like, that's what I want. And no matter what, I'm going to get there then that's going to help you find that grit and just keep moving forward. Otherwise, you know, most people will just quit when it gets hard, but that's what makes you different. That's what makes you unique is saying that, you know what, I'm just going to keep on going. And success isn't that difficult, really. It's just about going again and getting up again. Um, so I always just have that mentality of like, I know that bad things are going to happen. I know that things are going to be challenging. I'm prepared for that. And when I'm prepared for it, when something bad happens, I go, no problem. Let's just find the solution as quick as possible uh, so that we can make this happen. Okay. So I want to back up just a little bit. One of the things that you said really struck me, and that is being connected to the goal is the thing. These are my words on what you just said, but I think it's right. Being connected to the goal is what's going to give you the rocket fuel, the grit that you need to be able to get to the goal, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people are unclear, and I'd love to know your thoughts about this. I think a lot of people think that they have the goal that they want nailed down. In other words, they choose a goal that maybe their parents said is a good idea or their friends said is a good idea, or it's a goal that they think is within their reach. But it's like, I don't know, like 92% of what they really, really want. You know, it's like 8% away from being the goal that would just knock their socks off. Like, you know, a good example is, 
you know, I asked people, what would you do more for a trip to New Jersey or a, a trip to, you know, the, uh, the, the Aegean, the, the blue, beautiful waters of the Greek islands. And they're like, well, the Greek islands. So I think that a lot of times their goals just are not what they're really after. And I'd love you to talk a little bit about how you set goals that are not logical goals that may make no sense to everybody around you, but somehow inside you, you are so fucking clear. Like you are so clear that this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And I don't give a shit. I will knock walls down to get this thing. That's a great question. And I don't think that you sometimes really know if it's a goal that you want until you've got it. And the only way then to know if it's really something that you wanted is to play full out. And there might be, you know, ways along the road where you're like, you know what, that's actually not what I want. But if you don't play full out, I don't believe that you can really know that's exactly what you want because you haven't given it everything. So for me, when I have an idea and I have loads of ideas, I, I write it down and I try and plan. And I, this is exactly how I set my goals. And I like to say how I set goals and crush them because loads of people have vision boards, loads of people write them down, but like, how do you actually execute it and make sure that it happens? So what I do is I have a vision probably like six months out right now. That's where my, my, I mean, I have my long term, but what can I actually plan right now? So it's like six months out and I write down all of the things that I want to do. I want to create this. I want to do this. I want to go here. I want to make this happen. And so when I've written it all down, I'll then put it into which month I'm going to do each thing. So it's going to work in a, in a calendar because you can't do everything in one month, right? You can't do everything, you know, on a Tuesday. You can't do everything right here. So for me, I make sure that I have my six months out, all of these ideas that I have, I then put them into which month I'm going to do them. And then what I do is at the beginning of each month, I write down exactly what day I'm going to do them. And I'll put it in my Google calendar as a notification, like, hey, start creating the mindset course, right? That's what I got to do on Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the 17th of August, whatever it is, right? So yeah. I'll then know that that is what I need to do then. No negotiations. That's my schedule. That's what I've set for myself. So I use the big vision board. I write it all down. Then I actually plan it into my Google calendar. And then I use an app called Things that has like a list of the things I have to do daily. And I do not go to bed until everything on that list that is time sensitive for that day is done. And that literally keeps me on track. It keeps me focused. It keeps me organized. And I honestly believe that this system is how I've been able to, you know, have my goals from my head onto paper and then actually execute them. Because I feel where the missing piece for most people is, is the bit in the middle, which is the most difficult part, right? Which is the planning, the actual doing. So if you plan when you're going to do it, it's more likely to happen. And then you're going to bridge that gap between where you are right now and where you want to go. Okay. So your system, just to make sure that I'm following, your system is, is it a paper Google calendar that you use or is it the computer Google uh, thing that you're using? It's the computer Google thing. So it's like Google calendar on my a phone. Google calendar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Google calendar right. on my phone. Okay. So you're defining within the things app, which I use, and it's awesome. For those of you that um, don't know what we're talking about, there's simply an app called things. It's literally the word things, and you can use it on your, um, your smartphone and it will also sync up uh, via the cloud to your laptop. So it makes everything nice and tidy. Um, and it uses the GTD, Robert Allen, getting things done system 
of next steps. It's it's really it's really quite genius. But I've never I've never seen anybody use it the way you're using it, which is to create it first on the Google Calendar and what you're doing each month, and then going back to things and on things. Are you creating projects for each thing that you want to accomplish? It's the daily tasks. So for example, you know, create a mindset section that I'm going to do on Tuesday, the 17th of August, right? That comes up in my Google calendar and yeah. then I'll write it in the things app as well. And then I might break it down. Like you've got to do one, you've got to do one to five. Um, and then that makes sure that it's, it's, it's a feeling of ticking something off, right? We all kind of like the stars at school or the, the ticking and it's that, it's that therapeutic feeling of like actually doing something. So, and then I'll have like daily things that I have to do on there to get my business going. So I have to post on Instagram. I need to reply back to the text messages. I need to add people into the Facebook group. So I'll also have my daily tasks on there and that makes sure that my business stays up to date and I don't forget something because when you're creating a business or when you have kids or when you have, you know, family or you have this as a side hustle, it's very hard. You know, it's very easy, sorry, to get distracted. And so when you're getting distracted, you forget these things that you have to do. And so I just know every day, right, I got to log on. What are the things that I have to do today to keep my business going? Um, and it's going to give me that great reminder of what I need to do. Oh, that's really good. And so you don't set up projects or folders within things. You simply put the activity that you want to do and the date you want to do it in the Things app, right? Exactly. That makes it much cleaner. Because I, I went the other way and I set up like 20 projects and it became more overwhelming the other way. I like what you're doing, which is really a simple, clean, easy way to do it. Just say, you know, on the, on the 12th of uh, December, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I love that. Okay. Where you, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I can't believe we last left off, left off uh, seeing each other in Italy and you were packing. Actually, no, we did a podcast here at my house. But prior to that, we last left off in Italy and you were packing a giant ice pick (laughs) and you were on your way to train for a Mount Everest climb. And there was a ton of training. There was a lot of money. There was a lot of expectations around this. And then boom, a little thing called COVID hits. Could you sort of walk me through when you first realized that the climb, which was your decision to train and climb Mount Everest, was not going to happen, and how you approached the flip side of this, which is, fuck, this is not going to happen. This isn't happening right now. Take me to that moment where you were like, I, I, I did the best I could to make this thing happen, and I continued to train, but I got to stop. Yeah, what an interesting time. And I did another trip in January, went to Ecuador. I was feeling ready, like I was feeling mentally prepared. I had all of my gear. I just ordered my last piece of equipment, which was some goggles. Um, I was eating right. I was sleeping. My whole schedule was basically like eat, train, and sleep and prepare. And I really felt like I was in the best shape of my life. I was mentally there and I was ready to go. And we started to hear some things about, you know, places closing down and then the South side closed down, the Chinese side closed down. And, but my guide was still like, you know what? There's no way that they can close down Everest. Like that would be crazy. But now looking back, it's like a restaurant got closed down. So um, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, you can't even go and have your haircut. Right. Every Um, school in America is closed down. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, I was still like, pretty sure it was going to happen because my guide was even up until the day that we found out. And I actually got an email from somebody with an article that said, you know, Everest is now closed down. 
mm-hmm. um, and it's closed for the season. And I just remember going like, I was, I literally said, oh, fuck. Okay. All right. And I think my first initial reaction, like I was actually okay. I was like, you know what? There's other things going on in the world. I've just got to live with it. And then I had a period of 24 hours where I felt completely lost. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do next? Like, this was my plan. I would, my plan was to take my book to the top of Everest. I had a vision of getting a photo with my book um, and showing the grit that it takes. And then for me to go on a tour and my book to come out and all of these things. So I was like, oh my goodness, like this is, I didn't think it ever ruined my book tour or ruined my experience. But I was just like, I did feel for 24 hours, I felt lost. And I was driving to a workout class and on the way back, I just started crying. And I was like, God, you've just got to get yourself together. Like, what are you doing right now? Like, it's it's going to be okay. And after that 24 hours of feeling sorry for myself or just being confused and upset and not sure, I was like, you know what? I got to adapt. And, you know, I do online workouts for a living. So I just literally within the space of 24 hours, I knew we weren't going. I just adapted. I was like, right, we're going to do more workouts online. We're going to be full into the app right now. We're going to create a new app. We're going to, you know, all of this stuff. I was like, no problem. And I just think that I, I shifted so fast that I haven't even had a second to think about Everest, if I'm quite honest. And there was a possibility of us going in the autumn time, but not many people go. And I didn't want my experience to not be the full experience of Everest. And then I spoke to my guide and, you know, next year is not going to work, but I'm going to go and do it in 2022. And I think that that's going to be the perfect time for me because, you know, with all of my business and everything that's going on, I'm actually going to be able to really enjoy it then and just do it for fun and experience. So there was a 24 hour period where I was lost and I was confused and I was a little bit upset, but I think because I threw myself so fast into adapting and doing something else, um, that I really haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. I haven't, haven't been, I mean, I've still got all my stuff and everything and I'm, I'm still, you know, itching to go. And I think what I'm really craving right now is travel and, and just um, adventure but I really did just adapt really fast and just said, I got to get, I got to get on with it. You know, it's amazing because somebody who writes a book on grittiness, you know, it's easy to be gritty when things are quote unquote working out, but when, when your plan is just fucked and you got to figure out what to do with it, um, it becomes more challenging. So, you know, it's all the more a testament to who you are and why this book is so so appropriate for you and your spirit and what you do. I, I can't think of a person who can write this book. Like you literally are the embodiment of grit. That's what I'm trying to say. Just really, really quite incredible. Okay. What areas do you think you can improve your own grittiness? We all want to level up, right? We all want to get uh, better. Right? There's a, within every level, there's a new devil, as they say. What for you is the thing that you just like, you know, I don't know what the hell, I got to get my shit together in this area. Like I need to be grittier. I got to take, I got to take my own medicine here. What, what comes up for you when I say that? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, honestly, I feel like it's, it's in relationships, really. It's fine. It's going out and wanting to be, you know, finding new friends, finding new, you know, circle of influences and just having the balls to go and do it basically. Cause I think sometimes, you know, that, that fear of people and rejection is actually more scary than setting up a business. Like no one wants to be rejected. And often that's why people don't set up a business because they're fearing of rejection. I don't mind when it comes to business because I kind of detach myself from it. But I think when it comes to relationships and friendships, 
Um, that's something that I definitely need to improve on and not be worried. I think I'm always so worried that I'm saying the right thing or I'm not doing the right thing or, you know, just being grittier in that area, just being like, all right, no problem. Um, and going out and finding, you know, new relationships and new friendships. Yeah. You know, that's a good one because business is funny. You know, a lot of people are afraid of business, but business is actually a lot easier than relationships. You know what I mean? The relationships are just tricky. So I, that's a great answer. I love that answer. I want to talk to you a little bit about the actual mechanics of writing a book because it's still sort of fresh for you. And a lot of people listening, you know, have a book in mind. I, I, I'd maybe like to write a book and what's it like to write a book? When you thought about tackling that, how did you approach that, excuse the metaphor, climbing that mountain? How did you, how did you figure, did you write every day for an hour or two hours? What did you do? I think as soon as I got my concepts down um, and I had, uh, I'm very blessed to have like an agent that kind of helped develop it with me, but it was, it was my idea and it, it, it's very similar to what it was. My original idea was one of the actual chapters so now my original thing is actually just a chapter, which is great because there's even more to it now. Yeah. And I feel like I just, I had to get it out of my head as fast as I could. And I probably spent about three, four hours a day writing and I just needed to get it out. And for me, I'm terrible at spelling. I'm not great at grammar. So that wasn't an issue for me. I was like, that's not important. So if you're trying to make something that sounds perfect, that sounds amazing, I just wanted to get my, my brain onto paper. I just wanted to like write. And I think that's the best way to do it. Otherwise you get caught up in like the fine details instead of like the overall picture. And so for me, I probably spent, yeah, like two, three hours a day, sometimes four hours a day in the morning. That's when I work best, but some people work better at night. So it just depends when you feel that your creative flow is at its best. Um, and I just needed to get everything on paper. And that was the very first part. So instead of going, you know, I need all these details, I need this to be specific. It's like, get the whole overview, overview thing. Because when you send it to somebody, if you have an agent or if you have a publisher, or if you have an editor, the chances are they're going to change it. And I think you need to be very prepared that if you are working with an editor, they are going to change stuff <laughs> and, and being yep. okay with that because knowing that they know what they're talking about. Okay. How long did it take for you to actually finish the manuscript? Is that what it's called? Yeah. I did it so fast, like a month. Oh my God. I just knocked it out because I couldn't, I had it all in my head. I think if you're ready for a book, you know that it's already there in your head. And I couldn't believe it that as I was writing this, you know, like sometimes like back in the day, you'd have to Google something to find out something, whatever. I was like, I wrote this whole book without Googling anything, you know? And it's just like, because it was literally just all of my thoughts on paper and everything that I know. And so I think if you have all of that content in your head already, it's going to be so easy because you'll start to talk about something and then you're like, oh, I want to add this in here later. And I think that's when you know, for me, that's when I knew I was ready for a book. When I was like, I have so much information and so many things that I want to put into a tangible place for people to actually go through. And there's tasks at the end of each chapter. There's a, there's a story with it. I show, it's not just, you know, learn this about eating this or mindset. Like I put my own personal stories in it that I've never spoken about before. And I think that that element of it makes it a little bit more personal and easy to read. For sure. Did you do an audio book as well? I have not, but it's coming. It's coming yeah. I, with, with that, uh, with that British voice of yours, you're going to kill it with that. It's going to be two to one. I'm telling you, what do you think that people often get wrong about you? 
I think they, ah, that's a great question. You know, I think that it's that I'm completely secure in myself, that I've got all of my shit together all the time. Everything's rosy. It's all, you know, I have it so easy. I think I make it look so easy because I never complain. Mm. And what people don't see is like, sometimes I have been hysterically crying, like emotional. And then within a split second, I've got to be on a team call. I've got to be on a call. And I'm like, I'm just delivering and I'm delivering the best I've ever delivered. And I think that when you look at me from the outside world, you're like, oh, you know, she never does this or this never happens. But I'm just really good at changing my state and showing up. I I just have to show up. I I never really complain. And yes, I know how to change my state. I know how to be positive and I don't need to complain because I'm so blessed and everything that I have in my life right now. But there's always times where, you know, it's not that easy. And it look, I think I, maybe I just make it look easy sometimes because people are like, Oh, well, I could do it if I was you. I'm like, I'm just doing it. Like I'm just showing up and I'm just not complaining. And I'm just, even when it's really difficult, I'm showing up anyway. I've never, I've never not shown up for anything even if it's been like the last thing that I wanted to do. Do you think that comes from the non-complaining part? Do you think that comes from the stiff upper lip English thing? (laughs) I mean, it it could be. We don't really, you know, express and talk about our feelings and all of that in England. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it is just like, get on with it. Like my dad used to say to me, when we did well at school, my dad used to say, what do you want? A paper hat, right? Like... (laughs) I was, I'm, that was actually what it's so funny because up until the age of like 16 and my brother was like 14, we thought he'd been saying a paper rat for like the last 16 years. So we would be like, why is that saying what, or what do you want? A paper rat. But he wasn't, he was saying a paper hat. And so I think it was like, okay, great. Well done. You've done something. What do you want? A paper hat? And like, maybe I was like, yeah, all right, next thing. You know, not that my parents were never pushy or they were never like, you know, they whenever the parents are like, oh, we've got to get you into dance. We've got to get you into this. We've got to do, we were like never pushy whatsoever. They just supported everything that my brother and I did. But yeah, maybe it's that thing of my dad saying, what do you want a paper at? I was like, yeah, I guess so. Oh, like, that's it. The next thing then. <laughs> that's it. I'm going to bill you this for, I'm going to bill you for this psychology session. That, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. I'm telling you. Yeah. Because, because look at it the other way. Look at it with these sort of like helicopter parents, they call them, right? Here in uh, in Southern California or really anywhere in America now, you know, where kids are getting like, you know, awards for being like in eighth place. <laughs> you, know what I mean? yeah. you know, so the fact that your dad's going, what do you want, a paper hat? You know, it makes you go, okay, well, I don't need like... He's not listening to me complain. He's not going to go over the top crazy, you know, to make sure that, you know, my feelings are protected. And I think that that really makes a, a well-rounded kid. And, and I ask a lot of these questions selfishly because I have a really a tremendous amount of admiration and respect for you as a person, but as a woman. And, you know, being the dad of, of two girls, I'm always looking for, you know, like, what's the right way to do this? <laughs> you know what I mean? How do I make them come out like Rebecca? Like, what do I do? And so, you know, I, I love the paper hat story. I'm going to steal that. That's awesome. <laughs> what, um, what's one rule that you have for yourself that you're never going to break? I think the one rule is showing up, showing, showing up, up. Myself and showing yeah. up for other people. It's just embedded in me. Like the, I, I can't not show up. I mean, honestly, there's times where, you know, I don't feel that great to do a live workout or I, I don't feel like I want to speak to this person or I don't feel like I want to send that one last message. But I just, I do it anyway because I feel more icky not doing it. 
Um, and I, I tell that people, just, just show up. I feel there's a different, there's a couple of different ways that you show up. Some ways is that you're just, your body is there. And that's great. Just get your body there, right? And, you know, sometimes we say that you need to go to this training. You need to go to this event. You need to go to this, right? Sometimes you don't feel like it mentally, right? But just get your body in the room. Because by getting your body in the room, you are showing other people that you're showing up. And that's half of it, right? You're like, oh, this person is there. Like, oh, great. I want to learn from this person. I, I want to, I want to see more what this person's doing. You have to just get yourself in the room sometimes. You know, I've worked with people. They're like, I just can't get there. Like, I just can't. I'm like, I don't care if your brain's not there, but get your body in the room so that other people can see that you're in the room. And then the second thing is getting into the room and then with your brain. Right. That's great. Amazing. Like that's like, that's like a 50, 50. That's, that's amazing. Right. Get into the room, but have your brain there as well. The last thing is get in the room, have your brain there and have somebody else in the room with you. Now that's a leader. And so when you can go through those three stages, I think of showing up, um, that's where you're going to start to really grow and just show up. If, if you're right right now where you're just like, Oh, I just don't feel like I can mentally. I don't care. Show up physically. Then bring your brain the next time. And then the next time you come, bring somebody with you. I love that. You know why? Because it's scalable. It's super simple. It's like you can get yourself, you can get your ass out of bed and show up for wherever you need to show up, but you're not putting the pressure of yourself of feeling like you have to be fully engaged and you know bring people with you. Do it in stages. Start just showing up. Just get there. I love that. That's really, really good. What is a new behavior? or a habit that has most improved your life recently? Wow, let's see. What have I done recently that has changed one of my habits? You know what? Right now, I feel like I'm in a time warp. Don't we all? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a time warp. I mean, I've just had a new app that came out. And uh -huh. having a new app that comes out is, this is probably what I've learned the most about myself because I can compare myself to two years ago. Yeah. When you when you release an app, it has to be the the biggest test to my personal development and my patience and my overall mental health. There's something about delivering an app when you have 11,000 paying members and you update something, a lot of shit is going to go wrong because you I can't bet. physically test it. It is the most stressful thing I've ever had to go through and I've gone through it like three or three times. And the first time it happened, uh, you know, what happens is servers go down, like things crash. Like you can't have people logging in for 12 hours. Like this is what happened. Like some people could log in, some people couldn't. You've got people commenting all over my Facebook, my Instagram, customer service emails, the Facebook message. I mean, it's everywhere. And so two years ago, this happened and I'm literally hyperventilating, screaming, upset at my app developers. Like, you know, what's going on this time? I literally was like, there is nothing that we can do apart from wait until this server migrates or until they fix it, or until they wake up in the morning. So I would distract myself with doing something else. So one, yes, I'm replying to, you know, all of the people that are hitting me up left, right and center. But I was like, you know what? In this time, I'm just going to go do something else. So I went and designed a bunch of merchandise. I went and designed like a new prep guide for our community. Like I went and did something else because I couldn't, in me just keep messaging the developers, is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? Like, it's like my people messaging me. 
is it done yet? Is it done yet? Is right. it done yet? Right. And so right. I need to learn to allow, you know, my developers or devout, allow the team to that know what they're doing. I need to keep on them. You just always need to keep on your team. Right. But instead of just crying about it and getting emotional and getting stressed and allowing it to drain you, go and use that energy to be creative somewhere else. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned over this period um, has been patience. Again, I can't leave the country right now. And so I'm having to be patient with, with so many different things. And I knew when, when you know something is going to be amazing at the end, like this new app that's come out is absolutely unbelievable. It trumps anything else that's out there right now. The design is phenomenal. Everything is just crazy. The new features, there's so many more features that we're adding like week by week that like nobody else has. And so I know what's coming. And if you know what's coming, it's just that transition period where you've just got to hold on and you've got to not allow it to take so much energy because when you do have the energy and when it is all working, you know, when everything is working, you're not going to have the energy there to, to present it. So I've really learned just to kind of step back a little bit and just allow them to, you know, to do their job and for me to just focus on something else at the time. Yeah, it's amazing at how intolerant we've become with bugs in things. Like we just won't, and, and it's almost like we don't believe that there's somebody on the other side of the computer that actually is dealing with the mess. You know, I was on a flight recently and they and they announced that we're going to have Wi-Fi and then the Wi-Fi didn't work. And it was like, you know, right around the time that Wi-Fi just came out on a plane, like for, a, you know, ever since they've been flying planes, there was no issue. There was, there was no Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi didn't exist at all. And then all of a sudden, like Wi-Fi is there and this expectation is like people can't get on a plane without Wi-Fi where you know, for the last 50 years, nobody even had it, you know? So it's interesting, the standards that we set for ourselves. But I have to tell you that, you know, to have 11,000 people that are so engaged with your product that they're going to reach out when, you know, you're updating is just, you know, a, a great reframe, I suppose, in your brain is to look and go, oh my God, I got 11,000 people that are actually loving this and wanting it to work, you know? So I love that. Yeah. And you're going to get people that, I mean, I got an email the other day that said, you're worthless. Mm. Oh, those are fun. Yeah, I got I got Rob's gay and Kim's a cow. That was a fun one too. Yeah, and you're just like, (laughs) aren't those fun? This was in a response to somebody not being able to log in. Isn't it unbelievable? It's just you know, there's a Wayne Dyer had a saying once, and it's like when you squeeze an orange, you get out what's inside. And when you squeeze, when somebody is squeezed and they're under pressure and they like these keyboard warriors and they just type out shit, it's sort of unbelievable. I've learned to really look and go, wow, they, their life is pretty fucked up right now because that's crazy. How do you deal with that? Because you you have such exposure. I mean, I remember being with you in Italy and you know uh, we're in the Gucci Museum as part of the, uh, the work hard, play hard experience that we did. And somebody recognized you from, and they're like, oh my God, I follow your YouTube videos. So you have it, you know, not only, not only in person, I mean, like here we are all the way, you know, clear across the ponds and somebody's recognizing you, but you also have a pretty, pretty large social media footprint. You got a lot of eyeballs on you. How does that affect you when, and I know you get tons of positive comments, but you, you get your handful of negative comments too. How do you deal with those? And are you getting a thicker skin as time goes on? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that, that email back to me the other day, you're worthless would have like made, I would have taken it so personal. I would have been so upset by it. But what I've realized over the years is that anybody who says anything negative are hurting so bad inside. And I just send love. I'm just like, Hey, no problem. I'm sending love to you. I hope everything's okay. 
And I think when you come from that place of understanding, why is this person so mad? Why are they so upset? Like they must have some really shitty stuff going on right now. I actually feel sorry for you. Instead of being like, it's about me, it's personal. You know, it's, it's not, it's not about me. It's not, it's not me that they're saying worthless. This person loves the app. The crazy thing is, it's like, oh, I was just frustrated because I couldn't get in my app. So it's not that I was worthless. It's not what they really thought that. It's just that in the moment and time, like that was something that they needed to get out of their system. And sometimes it's a self-reflection of themselves. And so, yes, a couple of years ago, I would have been absolutely devastated. Um, but now I just have more grace and I have more sympathy for somebody who's, you know, speaking like that. Um, it's really interesting over the last uh, couple of months, I've, I really appreciate our mastermind group and I really appreciate people who communicate and help each other. Um, my last uh, app developers, I actually gave a referral to, and I just found out the week that this new girl's app came out that she had used my app people and nobody had told me and she hadn't said, thank you for the introduction. And that felt me, made me feel like a little bit strange and her app actually ended up going to number one. And so, and this is somebody who's a competitor in my industry, but I love her and she's great. And like, you know, but it was a very strange feeling to get somebody who you'd given a referral to and nobody had told you and you just found out by accident. Um, and I think that you're going to find that too in business. So finding your people and finding, you know, who your real circle of influence are and those people who actually want to cheer you on. Um, and those people who don't or maybe act like that, they might just have some sort of jealousy or some sort of like scarcity of like having you back involved or something. It's, it's very strange. So again, that takes me back to something that I do want to work on. One of my weaknesses and finding that grit is definitely finding those right people that um, I'm surrounding myself with on a daily basis. Yeah, for sure. That was a, that was really well said. I get that. I want to talk about travel a little bit. Um, because you and I obviously share the travel bug. If you could spend one month anywhere, like right now, I know, I know right now you'd be willing to go anywhere, but if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why would you go there? I would go to the Maldives. I've been mm. there twice, but I just, there's something about that atmosphere and the colors that just makes me feel so centered and calm. Um, and I would just go there and I would paint. Um, I actually just ordered a whole bunch of stuff from Amazon, some acrylics and paints, easels and all that stuff. Cause I actually love to draw and I love to paint, but I haven't done anything creative for such a long time because I'm constantly replying to people about their app not working. And so I think I would go, I would go to the Maldives, um, there or Costa Rica. I had a beautiful time in Costa Rica last year. Um, and I really just, I feel like places like that just center you and get you aligned and make you realize what's important. You know, once when we're, you know, caught, caught up on social media and all of these different photos and videos and everything, it, it comes to being something that's so consuming. So for me, I would, I would take a month right now. If I'd be going anywhere, I'd take a month and I go to the Maldives and I would just be in one of those bungalows and I would paint. <laughs> like the overwater bungalow with the thing so you could see the ocean under your feet? Yes. Yeah, that sounds really incredible. I've never been to the Maldives, but actually we were looking to go uh, on the trip, but you can't go there either. You have to quarantine. Uh, so I, I mean, there's so many places you can't go to right now. Um, I did not know you were a painter. Are you like a, a painter painter, like uh, with um, like watercolors? Is that kind of what you do? Yes. Yeah, so and my auntie and my granddad on my mom's side were both artists. 
Uh, my granddad was, he went, I mean, my granddad was like bankrupt like 13 times. I feel like he made all the business mistakes so that I could come in and <laughs> very successful. I mean, my granddad did absolutely everything. He was a very smart man, um, but he was a, he was a painter. Um, and uh, he, that's what his whole living was. He sold, sold paintings. And then my auntie, my mom's sister, she did like really cool, like cartoon type images from in Japan. She spent a lot of time in Japan. And uh, yeah, she ended up being an artist. And then she's actually an art teacher in New Zealand right now. So yeah, my mom's side of the family is super arty. My dad's side is the more sporty side. Um, so yeah, I've definitely got the creativity. I mean, originally I wanted to go to art school. Um, so yes, I just, I'm ready to get my my paints back out and have some therapy time just painting. I'm probably, I can't remember the last time I've painted, so I probably need to watch some YouTube videos and figure out what to do again. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, I can make it happen. Well, then that must've been a good exercise that we did in Florence when we went painting there. Oh, I loved it. I was like, I need to do this more. I absolutely, yes, I was in my element there. That's so cool. Okay, so as we wrap up, I wanna go through just a quick rapid fire round of questions. And just tell me like, first thing that comes to your mind. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Grit. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Ideas. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? I've collected stamps before. Interesting. I do not picture you as a stamp collector. What do people uh, never ask you, but you wish they did? Uh, do I want to go out for lunch? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, just invite me out to lunch. <laughs> just, you know, our, our mutual friend, Lori Harder, had a great post the other day and uh, I'm going to do the best I could to remember it. It was something like, I really want you to invite me even though I'm probably not going to go. What book have you reread the most? The Power of the Positive Thinking. The power of positive thinking. Interesting. Yeah. What is your guilty pleasure? Chocolate. <laughs> What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Being alone. What's the one thing you own and probably should throw out, but never will? I got some old pairs of shoes that I really should throw away that I just emotionally connected to. <laughs> yep. That's what I was after. Okay, cool. <laughs> If you could give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about. So we're going to take fitness, entrepreneurship, and Mount Everest out of the, off the table. And it could be on anything that you like or have a passion for. What would it be? Art. I was just going to say art. Interesting. I learned something new. Okay. Last question. We'll change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What's the most exciting thing that has happened to you in 2020? Oh, God, that is a good question because my brain went to, let me give you a list of all the shit. Um, <laughs> what is the most exciting? Oh, this is a really good question. Really good. Exciting is a really good word. And I'm probably going to stretch the limits of excitement. Okay. I'm going to do the best I can to take a really long answer and make it short. Um, about a month into this pandemic stuff, I was consuming way too much of the of the uh, pandemic news, and you know, I was watching uh, 
this is closing and that's closing. And, you know, is this a conspiracy theory shit and everything that everybody's looking like, what the fuck's going on? And I was just watching too much of it on television. And I woke up in the middle of the night, maybe two or three o'clock in the morning. And my heart was pounding out of my chest. I thought I was convinced I was having a heart attack. I don't know what the fuck it was. And um, the ceiling looked like it was closing in on me. The walls looked like it was closing in. And then I just ran upstairs in the house and I looked across the street, the balcony and the house across the street looked like it was closing in. And I went in the back, I went uh, to the back deck and I looked into the backyard and it looked like the trees in the backyard were closing in on me. And I just wanted to unzip myself out of my body. It was the most peculiar experience I've ever had in my life. And I I soon realized that I was not having a heart attack. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I, I was having difficulty breathing, but I'm like, I... I'm having a fucking panic attack. I've never had a panic attack. I think I'm having a panic attack. Never scared the hell out of me. I stayed up for about two or three hours and with exhaustion, I just passed out and went to sleep. Woke up the next morning, I was fine. That happened every night for the next week. And I knew something was up. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on unconsciously. And being a, a sort of a student of Tony Robbins training, I always go to him because I feel like, you know, he's, even though he's got a documentary that says, I'm not your guru, he still is my guru. And I wanted to figure out how I can get rid of this thing. So long story short, Tony's, most of Tony's work is based on NLP stuff. So I found a guy in London who is super expensive. Um, he's on Harley Street who gets rid of uh, phobias. I, over the course of that week, I realized that um, I have a past history of claustrophobia. I should, I should have said this. I have a past history of claustrophobia. It doesn't rear its head often, but in certain situations, like if I'm in a tight elevator or if, I've, or if I feel like I can't get out of somewhere, it comes up. So the feeling I was having with the panic attack was massive claustrophobia. And so I hired this guy and he basically will zoom you in and he's got the 60 foot screen in London and he walks you through this NLP process and you pay him one really expensive price. And if it's one session or 10 sessions, he'll work with you until he cures it. So I'm about four or five sessions in. And what's happening is not only am I over the panic attack, that that issue doesn't happen any longer at all. That what's happening is a thing that I've battled for 50 years, which is claustrophobia, is slowly starting to get better because this, this COVID situation has brought to the forefront claustrophobia in a weird way. It's like claustrophobia is a feeling of can't get it, that you can't get out. So what I learned is that every time, you know, I'd go to the gym and it's closed, I'd feel a little claustrophobic. And then I go, okay, fuck it. I'll go to the park and work out. I go there and there's yellow tape around it and I can't go to the park. And now when I walk outside, I have to physically put a mask over my uh, face. So all of these things represent close, feeling closed in and feeling like I can't get out. Like when I want to get on a plane and I want to go somewhere, yeah, you can't, you can't go anywhere. So you're continually locked in. So that this whole COVID thing has create, has, has brought to the surface this claustrophobia issue I've been battling. And the NLP work I'm doing is fixing the claustrophobia because I've had to fix it. So really long answer, but that's the first thing that came to mind is, as we, as, like I said, I'm stretching exciting, but, the, but it does, it is exciting to get rid of this thing. Wow. So how do you, how many sessions have you had with the guy in London? Six. Okay. And how do you feel now? 
I feel better. Um, it's, it's really crazy. Like one of the things that he made me that actually is really truly helping me, and this is crazy, but this is so fucking, you'll appreciate this because, because this happened to me at night, my brain has now, can you imagine how fucked up this is? My brain has now associated darkness with claustrophobia because the panic attack happened, not only darkness, but my bedroom and the curtains. Because when I woke up, I looked at the, I have these blackout curtains. I looked at the blackout curtains. It was dark and everything in that heightened sense of my heart beating out of my chest all came together. So now when I walk downstairs and I look at the curtains, boom, I get right back into state. When I look at the ceiling, right back into state. And it starts when I'm sitting outside at night, when it slowly turns from sunset to twilight to darkness, I can literally feel like I'm at a zero claustrophobia. Once that twilight starts, it starts to go to like to one to a two. Once it's complete darkness, it's like a four or a five. And then when I walk downstairs into my bedroom, it goes to like a seven or an eight. And this has been like battling this for like seven or eight weeks. So he's made me this hypnosis. I mean, it sounds nuts, but it's working. And he, says, I want you to imagine that you're at the table and your identical twin is, because we sit at, at, at he, he asked me to run through the process at night. And I said, well, we sit outside with Sophia, our five-year-old, and we play you know cards. And as it starts to get dark, I start to feel it. And he said, okay, I want you to imagine that you're sitting at the table with your identical twin. But the only difference between you and her, your identical twin is that your identical twin has not experienced what you experienced that first night with the panic attack. He doesn't have it. And so he's got me over a 30 minute process, like leaving my body and going into this twin's body. I stay frozen in time where I'm safe in the, in the sunlight um, on the deck. And then he walks me through how, as it gets darker, I feel more and more relaxed, refreshed, comfortable because when you're anxiety free, you can't be filled with anxiety and claustrophobia when you're feeling relaxed. So he walks me through all of these things that I'm going through. And as you're walking down the stairs and you're looking up at the ceiling in your bedroom, it's giving you an even deeper sense of calm. And as you're going through the routine and you're closing your curtains, you're getting even sleepier and you feel even more relaxed. And as you go into your bed and the linens is touching your face, you're feeling even deeper relaxed. So he's he's literally undoing and reprogramming the reverse of everything that happened with me the night of that panic attack. Does that make sense? Wow, that's so crazy and amazing. It's, it's working. It's working. It's so that has been the most exciting thing that I've gone through. That shit. I, have you ever had a panic attack? Yes. Yes, it's, I have. It's you know what I mean, right? You feel you yeah. feel like you're gonna die. Yeah, you can't breathe. You can't breathe. It's you can't cr- see. You're dizzy. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not nice. <laughs> no, it's not yeah. nice. I've never had any of it. Well, Rebecca, as always, I love you. You are such an inspiration to so many. Um, Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? I mean, just find the grit that you need right now to keep on going. If you need that extra boost, um, we have the book, obviously, that comes out on the 15th of September. Connect with me on social media, Rebecca Louise Fitness. Shoot me a message. Say hi. Introduce yourself. Um, I'm always available and here to help anybody that... uh, that needs it. So I'm just so appreciative that you've had me on this podcast, Rob. Always pleasure speaking to you. Um, I'm excited for 2021. I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. Me too. Weird it's going to be, but it's going to be amazing. Well, let me tell let me tell everybody who's listening. 
you'll look at Rebecca and you'll go, whoa, that is a hot tamale right there. Rebecca has the goods. She is beautiful. She's intelligent. She's kind. And she is exactly what you would hope that she would be when you meet her. Trust me, she is marvelous. Oh, thank you. You are so welcome. Rebecca, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. All right, thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 